0: Log Talk Radio
1: Ladies and gentlemen, to the Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network, where we are scheduled to have Kyle Hester joining us in a, a few minutes. So uh, hopefully uh, so we'll, he'll be joining us in a few minutes, and uh, we got Coco Kansky. I'm Tom Donaldson. I'm the chairman of America's PAC, a project director for America's Majority Foundation, and the author of eight great books and and just finished my ninth one, which is that the editor looking for a publisher. So if you're a book publisher, I think what a great book. Give me a call. Uh, Coco, tell everybody what a great person you are.
2: <laughs> I don't know about that, Tom, but what's up, guys? Um, my name's Coco. I'm a writer. I live out here in Los Angeles, and I like to come on the show whenever possible. So thank you for having me.
1: Yeah. Well, I say uh, as soon as uh, we get Kyle here, Happen, uh, will, uh, but uh, you got not a haunted house story. So, yeah. So once you kind of, so what's this? Uh, not a haunted house. It's uh, what in in Massachusetts.
2: Oh yeah. So um, I I stumbled upon this really funny story. Um, so apparently it happened on Zillow. Um, someone is selling their house and on top of that they put non not haunted and I really want to know what the story is behind that. So apparently a woman took a picture and posted it on Twitter that her around the corner from her there was a house uh, for sale and It's a for sale sign, and on top of the for sale sign, it says not haunted. Um, So I'm very into the paranormal. I know a lot about it. And Massachusetts is probably one of, like, the most haunted areas. Like, this is where Lizzie Borden murdered her whole family. Um, There's just a lot of paranormal activity in in, in
1: Massachusetts.
2: So um, I kind of want to know the story behind it on why a realtor would put not haunted on a house.
1: Okay, so why did he do that?
2: Well they don't know. Um that's the thing. Nobody really knows. It was just uh, a photo that this woman took um about, you know about this house and um you know, she she just wanted to know the reason why.
1: Oh. Well, I, okay, so that was it. I mean, they they really don't know, or they just uh, yeah, because no, she obviously just this put-
2: outside. she just she she basically yeah. just spotted this outside around the corner, and it's like in big red letters that says "not haunted." Um, you know, the house is west of Boston. It's in Bloomstein, and um. You know, she reached out – actually, she reached out to the real estate agency to learn more about the sign. They knew nothing about it either. So the consensus is that the sign is a prank, maybe played, you know, by a ghost with a sense of humor. But um, I just think it's hilarious. And there's Mm -hmm. another story, Tom, that is so petty. It's like petty, petty, petty. So um, brace yourselves for this one, guys. This is actually – Kind of interesting. Um, a Georgia man in Georgia received 91,550 coins weighing at about 504 pounds. They were delivered to, to the worker after he was forced to contact the government to get his last pay stub. So, okay, uh, so okay. a, man a man from Fayetteville, Georgia, got his final overdue paycheck from a local auto shop in the form of a pile of pennies with a note that read, F-U. He received a a delivery of 90,000 one-cent coins, all soaked in greasy oil, and they were all dumped on his driveway. On March 13th, the post by his girlfriend states that a huge chunk of change arrived four months after Sladen quit his job at O.K. Walker Auto Works in Peachtree City. Um... First, this is a quote from she, she actually said. First things first, when my boyfriend quit, he gave a written resignation letter complete with a two-week notice. After Miles Walker of AOK Walker Auto Works continued to be an a-hole, he is and make a normal workday hell, making unnecessary comments about my boyfriend's daughter and just being on an all-around dick. The two weeks turned into five days. Um, Oxley explained that walker had refused to send out his last paycheck claiming damages to his shop once the word lawyer was introduced this is what he did um basically fox interviewed lady who said he had contacted georgia department for labor for assistance on his paycheck and he called his former his former boss's move a childish thing to do i mean yeah can you imagine just getting ninety-one thousand pennies just dropped on your front door?
1: Yeah, I, I can imagine that. That yeah would be nuts. So.
2: Yeah. So, I thought that was that was like honestly insane.
1: Yeah, that sounds insane. All right. So by the way, we got Kyle Hester on the line. Kyle, what's going on?
3: Oh my goodness! <laughs> Sorry, I got caught long on a on a on an editing call, so my apologies.
1: What's, no worries. Well, that's okay. yeah. No worries. I mean, we're we're a forgiving group of people. Uh, yeah, w- yeah. We're not the kind of people who say, "Don't ever do that again." But please, don't ever do that again. No. <laughs>
3: <laughs> don't ever do that again.
1: <laughs> oh my
3: God, that's I, funny.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, well, by the way, I mean, yeah, no, I got to answer this question because you're you're still Louisiana, but you know, we're gonna get into this more a little bit, you know, as the show goes on about your, you know, you know what you're planning on doing, uh, plan on doing, uh, with coming to back to LA. So here's the question: We had there was a story that Coco just put out. Uh, basically, you know, a lady sells in the house and says not a haunted house. You know, you know, big sign, and I have to assume, being in Louisiana, you got a whole lot of haunted places out there, would you not?
3: <laughs> I would think so. I think it's, um, New Orleans is supposed to be one of the one of the most haunted cities, and uh, I have not experienced anything out here where I am. So, you know, I, we'll we'll take that though.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. Thing is. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm kind of reminded years ago, like Charleston, is, uh, South Carolina. There's also an aspect of, of the Creole French type of, uh, which I never did until I got there, and they would have these like what they call ghost hunts, or just yeah. like a you know haunted you know
2: you know haunted. So, uh, well, they do a lot of swamp tours, don't they? like a
4: lot of ghost swamp tours
3: I know in Louisiana they do that yeah yeah they do I mean I think they're probably gonna like I don't know if they've been doing it recently but I think they should be starting them right back up
1: yeah yeah I yep. would do it yep yep I would go I'd do it yeah yeah so well what we're gonna do here tonight I guess say is we're going to you know we're gonna give you a chance to, to talk about what you are up to and then we're I'm gonna ask you and Coco some Uh, Questions. Uh, I kind of want some of your opinions on. Uh, Then we'll just discuss anything and everything. So, but uh, I know you got a few things coming up. So I'm going to do. So when we get back from this break uh, here on the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network, um, yeah, we're going to get right into what you're up to and what you're looking at doing.
5: A boy born in Joplin, Missouri, was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent, one in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR, one in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year, 1 in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism, 1 in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council.
1: Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, back here at the Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Now, if you want to become a sponsor of the Donaldson Files or you know, any of the other shows, here's what you need to do. You write to labachelor40 at com, and you can become a sponsor. And this is what a sponsorship does, uh, gives you. You get three ads for each show. At the beginning and the, the end of the show, you are going to be listed as a sponsor, for example, if uh, if Kyle decided to become a sponsor show, we would say Preacher Six, and then we'll do a great ad, and then Coco and myself would also do a separate mention throughout the show of why you should go see Preacher Six. So this is you know so basically this is a, so a great deal, and not only that but we do have a podcast, so whenever we do a show, it, it gets put on our website, the Bachelor News Radio Network. Mm-hmm dot uh, com, the Bachelor News Radio Network dot com, and people get to hear the same ad over and over again, until Eternity. So, mm-hmm. or as well, so, so that's the best deal possible. Give us a call, talk to us. We'll have a salesperson talking to you here about being an official sponsor of the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Okay. So Kyle, you know, you've been, you know you've sent me a note, and I wanted you to kind of share with everybody else about your future plans, what you're looking at doing, and and how people can help you. So go ahead and sell it.
3: Well, basically, it's like I just got a hard drive um, with the project of um, Preacher Six, you know, on it. So I, I've been kind of going through. All of what we have left to do on it, and uh, we're going to be getting some some help on the VFX uh, with this awesome guy that I'll be making a um, an announcement next month when we go live on our Indiegogo. So that is actually what I'll be wanting to talk about is the Indiegogo campaign to get it finished. Um, so that'll be um, next month in May. But uh, I have a Patreon where you can see all the all the behind the scenes stuff of what's going on. And uh that's Kyle Hester, actor guy, on Patreon. For three bucks you can jump in and, and see what's happening. But uh yeah, we're just trying to get this film finished um after a few a few uh technical glitches. And uh so so yeah, it's like the indie film basically it's like, you know, find a way or make one. So that's what we're doing.
1: Now you're gonna go back to LA, is that correct? That is correct
3: yeah I'm going okay. to go back to Los Angeles, and um, that's basically my my stomping grounds, and um, so it's it's good to be surrounded by people that you know and trust and have worked with before and all that kind of right. stuff and yeah so so you know it's like going to a new city to, uh, to try to put together a, um, a whole new deal. It's like if I was a millionaire, it'd be easy to do you know if you just go through the like who's, who's the, the big shot in town and hire them. You know, but uh, it takes time to to put together, you know, a, a trusted crew. Yeah. So okay.
1: Why so how would can you people? Explain to
2: people who don't know what Indiegogo is.
3: Oh, Indiegogo is um it's a fundraising platform for creatives, and um so basically, films and books and you know right. new startups and all all kinds of stuff. So so if you want to support independent films, like a lot of a lot of independent film people will try to raise money with that. And it's like a um, Kickstarter. So that it's, it's like a Kickstarter. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's without Indiegogo, like creature six would not have been possible and it would not have gotten as far as it has. So, um, right. And it's a, it's a great way for, for indie people to, uh, to reach out and gain audience and get support. And um, so it's invaluable.
2: Okay. Yeah, I mean, so I use Indiegogo for certain projects as well, and they're so amazing. Like, you know, I think you know if we were doing this thirty years ago, it wouldn't have been possible. But because of Indiegogo, you know, there, there's so much like artists can do and create and still get support.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So I'm 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 always a yeah. big fan of Indiegogo. <laughs>
3: Yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. And, um, you know, it's, it's a great way to meet other, other creatives too. You know, just kind of staying on right. touch with like, who's doing what. And so it's, it's, it's definitely something to, to take advantage of if you are, you know, a, a creative and trying to get something done.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, so that's uh, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, this sounds like interesting because, like I said, I wanted to get you a chance to, uh, to kind of talk about this and and do this. So uh, I know we have. Okay, not but I want to ask both of you the question because uh, I'm going to assume Kyle, you're still keeping up with, uh, you know, California politics, and you know, Coco is our person in the know locally. Uh, so, kind uh, of explain. First of all, explain the recall process in California for people. Yeah. You know, what's the process of going through a recall election, how do they, how it gets done. Uh, okay, you probably know it. more
3: about that than, than I would, but um, isn't it just basically it gets, if enough people sign something, then, um, then it'll get on the ballot and it's like a ballot initiative. Coco.
2: Um, I have no idea, Tom.
3: Yeah, I think I think that that's what that is. So basically it's like, you know, the 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 Republicans in California have been have been gunning for the governor for as long as he's been in office. Yeah, but most office. people
2: don't even live in California. A lot of the people that that are like trying to recall him, like if you look into the facts of like, you know, the uh California, these are people that are out of state. They don't even live in California. The yeah. Majority of them don't live in California, so I just think it's funny. I I look at that. Yeah, I I mean, and, uh, he's, he's,
3: he's he's not, not going to get recalled. I mean, this this is it's, no. it's political theater, you know. For, for sure, for, well, it's play, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, but yeah. well, here's the thing. I mean, the, let's say uh, it may be political theater, but here's the thing. My understanding is you would have to be a California resident to sign the petition. I mean, not you know, Tom Donaldson cannot sign a petition to recall Governor Newsom because I live in Iowa.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like if, all, if you only need, you know, a million um, signatures yeah. and, you know, you, you got enough ground. I mean, it's like there is, you know, there are Republicans in California. You know, there's not a lot, but they're there. So it's like uh, so you can, you can get that, you know, if you have a grassroots thing going, you can get those signatures to, to make that initiative happen. So that that's what they did, and that's what Coke was talking about. All the money that it takes to do that—you know—to get those signatures—it's a lot of yeah. money, you know—to get all those people on yeah. the ground collecting, paying all those people to do it.
4: Okay. I mean,
2: I've I heard here's to talk about this. Um, yeah, go ahead. So the saga continues about Ten Horn Flats. I don't know if you've heard of them, Kyle. What is that? Uh, it was a rest it's a restaurant. Tinhorn Flats is a restaurant. Um, the owners are QAnon. It's out here in Burbank. They originally had a uh, a location in Hollywood, but they actually burned down their restaurant. So that no longer ceases. So what happened I have a little update, Tom, a little bit of an update. Um, okay. I was on my way to uh, you know, get my dog to the groomer and as I'm driving by I always have to I always have to pass by that that awful shitty restaurant. So what they ended up doing they ended up they ended up building a little border around the restaurant, so it was like unoperable. And when I saw that Tom, I cheered so loud, I laughed so loud because you know, the fact that this guy um not only threatened uh a bunch of city a uh, council city men um in Burbank. You know, he, he started, you know, he took down his profile on Facebook and Instagram because every single one of his posts were basically, you know, threatening, like threatening people. And um, Guy's a Millionaire, uh, what happened was that this restaurant, they were open to the public when restaurants were not open and it was really unfair that all these other restaurants around here were being sh- are shut down, and this guy continues to be open, continues, you know, just violating. The health codes that he violated were so massive that, you know, at first they took away the liquor license while they were still serving liquor. They took away their, their health license. They were still uh, selling food. You know, they they cut the electricity. They still were operating, which under normal circumstances, no restaurant would be doing that. No restaurant would get away with that. If you're in so much health isolation, do you think you're going to be open? No. But this guy did not care. And um, a couple weeks ago, this was so scary that I actually even witnessed this. This is so frightening, the fact that where I live now, that it's going on, We're like, a bunch of these Q people – were protesting. I mean, it was just like, it, 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 was, it, was, it was insanity, Tom. Like, uh, I, we got our car spit on by some QAnon people, by the way. Um, so that was lovely in itself. Um, and they were just holding these rallies, these, like, massive rallies. With, and I'm not, Tom, I'm not exaggerating. These people were wearing tinfoil yeah. hats. They were wearing tinfoil okay. hats, and they were like cute and like you know, like you know, you know, with these Trump flags, and just like everything, and it was just, it was just so massive, and just so like, wait, it, it, it wait, just, wait. It, like it, for it, it real, like, like actual
3: tinfoil hats?
2: Yes. Wow. Yeah, like I, I, I would drive by like almost every other day because that's how I would have to go to my uh, where I was gonna where I would get coffee. And I would see these people, and, like, they have no mask. They're, like, just, they're just, like, you know. One of them ended up sitting on my car, um, so that was fun. Um,
4: <laughs> you know, these were just
2: total psychotic psychos. And so, you know, he kept opening. He kept serving. And it, his motto was, like, if you have a mask, like, don't bother coming in. You know, we're mask-free. You know, this is a peaceful protest site. I mean, just, like, um it is just absolute insaneness. and so i found out his he has an underage son and he was operating the entire bar hey, you're going to you're going to you're going to trust your 19-year-old kid to uh, uh, like handle liquor and operate a bar so the son gets arrested and you know he's crying on facebook no we will rise blah 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 there's an infringement of our rights blah blah blah, blah. and you know <laughs> He tried. Oh, by the way, this is my favorite part. They padlocked the place, Tom. The city padlocked the place, so he took a video of himself breaking the lock, opening it up, and he was serving people. I mean, Mm. that's insane. And so this is this is my favorite part. He got arrested three times last week because. You know, and, uh, people in Burbank were just like, you know what, enough is enough. Like, you know, you know, you didn't follow the rules. You're getting punished. You know, he's fighting the city right now, and it's a losing battle. And you know, then he threatened, you know, to have one of the city councilmen murdered. Like he mm-hmm. actually wrote this in a post online, and you know, obviously the the police have been at that site every day for the last two weeks, and then as I drove by today, there was this huge fence around. They, they, the city built a fence to block anyone wow. entering, so I was very happy about that, but it's just like, holy guys, I mean, it's not a conspiracy. You did not, if no one's against you, you literally are just a total dirtbag. You did not follow the rules, and now you're being punished, rightfully so. But this is the never-ending saga of Tin horn Flats of Burbank.
1: So, <laughs>
3: that is crazy.
1: It, it's yeah. not. Well, hold on. To that. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on. To that. This is Tom Dahlsen here uh, with Coco Konski. Kyle Hoster here on the Bastard News Radio Network.
6: Let's
1: go,
7: Caleb! Come
1: on. Hit a homer, Jesse. Let's go, guys. Hey, did you
7: guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up?
5: Of course. I I knew that.
7: Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary?
5: Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely.
7: Mm-hmm. Wow, jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends?
5: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music?
7: Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Obvious. Oh, hey, guys, did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not?
8: I didn't know that.
7: I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and...
1: Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, welcome here to Dawson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And don't forget, uh, we do have a website, com, And you can become a sponsor of this show by simply saying, you know, writing an email to labachelor40 at com, And you can come on, and we'll have a sales rep talk to you. What do you get? You get three ads, plus you get Coco doing a fourth ad. And you also will get listed at the beginning and at the end of the show that you're a sponsor of the hour. And so it's not just your advertising. You become an official sponsor of the Donaldson Files. And you also, uh, your ads will continue to be aired on the podcast. So when people come in and listen to the podcast at their convenience, they're going to hear your ad as well. Hundreds of thousands of people are turning to our website and looking so, if you want to be part of it, give us a send us an email and we will be there. Okay, now. We're uh, okay. Yeah. So basically the tin horn is it a tinfoil tin horn? Uh restaurant.
2: <laughs> it might as well be tinfoil hats. I mean that's what we joke around calling it. Um, it's called tin horn tin horn uh flats and it's like a saloon but you know, they're very shoddy owners you know this guy's like a millionaire and he's just like you know he's just a real piece of crap i'm sorry but um you know when you threaten the people of city council – if you threaten like a member of a city councilman like to have your followers to like harass him um yeah you're a complete turf bag
1: okay well <laughs> i mean other than that i mean that's what i say it's democracy at work you know threaten your local le elect- legislators with murder <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that's a good way to get people, that's a good way to get the local community to uh, vote for you. Is, uh...
2: I mean, and it's just not just that, Tom. It's the fact that, like, you know, the whole city is trying to shut him down because he's just insane. He's insane. You know, you don't follow the rules during when we were on lockdown, you know, while other restaurants have suffered. You know, what makes this guy, you know, so special? You know, there's a reason we yeah. have rules, and there's a reason we follow rules. And if you don't, then you face the consequences, like this guy is doing. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, I think
3: that you know, there's a a, a cult of personality that um, that thinks that they can do whatever they want to do now. You know, and um, it, so this is the result. You know, of the last four years. You know, of saying whatever you want to say and doing whatever you want to do and being disrespectful to like everybody. You know, so now you have all... that.
2: I had a friend of mine, I had a friend of mine the other day, you know, she has a Black Lives Matter sign, and this this truck pulls up and just starts yelling the N-word to her, you know, here where I live, you know, and I don't want to be around people like that.
3: Yeah, no, no doubt. You know, I don't feel
2: safe being around people like that. So, I mean, it's just (sighs) like... You know, where I live, it's like industry, you, I mean, you know, Burbank, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it's like, holy crap, these people are lunatics. I'm sorry, but like, I mean, and the fact that one of them's fucking car, excuse my French, but I mean, you know, because I have a Joe Biden sticker, Jesus Christ, get a life. Yeah.
1: Well, I would say that's certainly – yeah. All right, so, okay, let's – here's some questions I got for the both of you uh, because I'm being kind of curious on this. Yeah. Because on the other side – okay, here's – let me throw it back in this – okay, let me throw the question back in this way, okay? You know, you got a humanitarian crisis at the border, and basically it's – you can make the case. In fact, I won't just make the case. It is worse than what we saw during the previous two administrations. And I guess my question is, what do you guys think about that? And and you know, you know why should you know, I mean? Let's say if this because the way I kind of look at it, you know, if this if Trump is still president, this happened. This will be the front page of the, every of the New York Times and be on CNN every night. So here's my question is, A, what do you think of it? And B, how much more should we be concerned about it? Because obviously we're talking some you know, hundreds of thousands of people crossing that border, most of them unoccupied, you know, children who are unoccupied. Your thoughts? And I'll start with you, uh, Kyle.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, I think, uh, I think it's a big mess, and it's been a big mess for a, a long time, you know, so – I, yeah. I don't have all the answers. I don't think anybody yeah. does, you know, but I think you got to yeah. treat people humanely, you know, in <laughs> like in a world pandemic and trying to, you know, people trying to like immigrate to a different country. You know, it's a it's a struggle all yeah. over the world. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, it it is. Well, I mean, here's like, yeah. Okay, Coco, your thoughts.
2: No, I agree with Kyle. I mean, he basically said what I was going to say. Um, yeah. That, you know, no one should be treating him mainly.
1: Yeah. I mean, one side of the crazy. Yeah, but here's why, I mean, here's the thing, though, because the other aspect is, is that many of these individuals view they were encouraged to come. In other words, okay, you're going to, because basically there was a okay, this so this presidency is going to let us in. You're not going to have the same obstacles that you had coming in before. And 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 there's an aspect where, to me, there was an aspect where they felt encouraged to come to across the border. And you certainly had in the first opening days in which this administration made it clear we're not going to be enforcing all of these laws to stop the crossing. Now they're basically left with a crisis. And, you know, where – let's say, is there any – should Biden and this administration be held somewhat responsible for this? And I'll start with you, Kyle.
3: Responsible for the crisis at the border?
1: Yeah. I mean, the, no, the, but what, what did the they, Trump
2: do? Come on, come on. Biden hasn't been in office a year, and already people are, like, jumping down his throat about whatever little issue. I mean, I guarantee you, if Trump was president right now, none of us would be getting our
1: vaccines. Well, actually, I disagree with that. He's the reason why you got the vaccines, <laughs> and we were already on the path of a million per day before he came up. Before Biden took over, I mean, that's not a. I mean, operation. I mean, Operation Warp Speed was, in fact, and I sent you know was part of this previous administration. So, I mean, to make that statement, no, but uh, you know, yeah, that yeah, uh, you know, that that I'll back off on that one. I mean, a better question would be would we have even had the vaccines to begin with if we had a more, you know, a different presence versus one they said well, to the I FDA.
3: Think, I think I'll, look, I, I, I'll say this. I think that, um, you know, Trump did a great job with with getting with getting giving permissions for the companies to to expedite the vaccine. Um, he had no plan for how to get the vaccines done or enough purchased at the time um, so that to be able to get as many going as we have. So I think that Biden has has done a great job of ramping up that whole situation. So um, do I think we would be in this position with all these people getting vaccinated if Trump was in office? Not a chance. So, but am I grateful that he gave permissions to have the vaccine, you know, fast track? Absolutely. So, you know, am I glad he's not in office? Damn right.
1: Okay, Coco, your thoughts.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I yep. feel the, I feel the same damn way. I mean, you know, it's 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 just, and I feel I feel a huge relief now that Trump's
1: out of office. I just do. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to so yeah, I'm going to back. I mean, again, I'm going to push back on this one for you know for a lot of reasons. And the first one, number one, would be, is we were already on the way. Of reaching the goals. I mean, the original goal is 100 million people vaccinated by 100 days. Well, we were already doing that. Number two, a good point. I mean, one of the nice things about the United States is federalism, and you'll find out very quickly who the competent governments are and who you know should never be in public office again. And there are a lot of states, including Florida, that basically ramped everything up. And I mean, this was state driven. And there are states out there that did a good job, and then there are states like uh, run by Andrew, the and killer, Kumo, that has been running far behind in the vaccinations. And so, I mean, it, I mean, this is an interesting paradigm to me is that you look at, you know, it's been a kind of a unique year, is that the most successful governors were those who, A, you know, were able to, willing to open up some of their economy and get jobs created, the incoming created, and we're mostly in the leadership on the vaccination. Now, I would say you know, that the governors led the fight, and Biden was the was the, was the beneficiary. Uh, now I'll let you two counter to that, and then we're going to take a quick break. And I'll start with you, Kyle.
3: Wait, so – Okay. Remake your point in like two sentences again.
1: Okay, my okay. I'll tell you what. I, yeah, I'll make my point, point. I'll let you guys uh, by yourself. My point would be is this: this was not is this is that a good portion of what you're seeing with the vaccination was led by the governors themselves. They were the ones that had the vaccines. They were the ones that instituted it, and you had governors who did a great job in making sure it got to the right population. Uh, you know, and I'm going to put Ron DeSantis on this, and then you had governors like Cuomo who basically you know fell behind in the on vacc- the vaccination rates and so this was i mean a lot of what you're seeing was driven by the states more than in than the federal government either from the trump side or even from the biden side. this was a and you and in my view is very simple this was a state driven effort as opposed to a federal effort. And we'll take a quick break here, and I'll I'll let you guys uh, come back to that.
7: Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m. I make his breakfast. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m. I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m. I shower. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. I start laundry at 8. At 10, we go for a walk. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. For
0: those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love visit aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
1: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to the Johnson Piles here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We got Kyle so we got uh, Coco Konsky joining us. And okay, all right, I made my point. Uh, I'll let you go first, Kyle. Then we'll go to Coco. Then we'll go to another subject.
9: Go.
3: Okay. Yeah. Basically, um, I, I think that that was the the whole problem with the the way that Trump ran his presidency. He's like, I don't, I don't care. I'm not doing anything. You guys got to deal with it. So and that's no way to run a country. If you don't want to be president and run the country in a positive way, don't be president. You know. So and that's why there were so many issues and nobody knew what they were doing and the right hand is not talking to the left hand because there was no direction. So we had like a rudderless ship for four years. So that's what I think about that.
1: Okay, Coco.
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I, I always love when Kyle's wrong because basically he just says what I, I'm always saying. Oh,
1: so, right. I agree right. with him yeah. 100%. All right. All right. Here, okay, here's the other, okay, here's the other point. Okay, here's another situation. Get your opinion. And you tell me, you know, right or wrong, all right? So, okay, Michigan's having a surge in cases. The governor says, I need more vaccines. The Biden administration, and remember, she's a Democrat, so we're not, there's a Democratic governor who's going to be up for re-election in 2022. She started opening up the economy because, she, quite frankly, uh, she needs to have a growing economy so she can win the election. Uh, there was a surge, you know, there's been a surge in it. She said, give me more vaccines. The administration's response to her was, no, we're not going to give you more vaccines. Use what you got and close down your economy again. Your thoughts. Right or wrong? Did they do the right thing? Did they do the wrong thing?
3: I, I, I think we're time? in the middle of it, you know? I think we're in the middle of all this. So it's like I, I don't think that we're going to have the answers to, you know, what played yeah. out right, you know, and to years down the line. But I, but I know that, like, um, you know, some of the numbers where people wore masks, worked, you know, it wasn't less statistically, you know, for people getting sick and dying, you know, then didn't. And then states that opened up, you know, sooner did horrible, you know. And it also has to do with, like, what the states are like, you know. It's like, is it is it a, a close city, you know, where everybody's, like, right next to each other in buildings? Or is it, like, kind of like a spread out, you know, open space, you know, kind of kind of rural area? So there's a lot there's so many variables to all of this. So like each thing becomes its own, its own thing to mitigate the situation.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm going to get, I'm going to just, because first one to one is, you know, uh, there's actually no difference in deaths from COVID between those states that opened up and those earlier than those that did not. Uh, there's enough data on that. And if you look at the major states, you know the the bluer states actually did worse in the COVID, by, even though they were less likely to open up. Uh, most you know what you'll find is many of the Democrat states, some of the smaller states or the Midwest states, did fairly well with the COVID deaths. The major states did horribly wrong, uh, and on top of that, their unemployment numbers were even higher. So you didn't even get the benefit of that. So I, 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 again, I'm going to push back on that. And my question, and I guess the point I'm going to make here, it looks like we had a little phone issue with Coco, but, but my point would be, and this is, the, you, know, you know, my point to you would be is, you know, there's two parts to the question. To me, if it was Donald Trump saying to Gretchen Whitmore, you're off, you know, you're out of here. And, uh, Okay, you're out of here. To you, it would be you know something of a news story. On the other side of the equation, to tell let's say a governor to, in effect saying we're not only not going to help you, we want you to lock everything back down. Uh, and uh, I don't know that to me. If I'm living in Michigan, I'm not going to take that very kindly. I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you kind of follow up on that, and give you the last word, and we'll move on here.
3: Well, I, I think that it's I think that it's one of those things where we
10: it's like you either want
3: people to be healthy and you want to take care of your fellow human beings or you don't, you know. And unfortunately, we have a lot of people on this planet that don't give a shit, you know, about other people, and um, for whatever reason. So I don't think that we can solve it politically. You know, I think it's a it's a person to person you know kind of thing, and um, it's it's weird, and I I don't understand it, you know. But um, yeah, but it certainly shows the flaws in in humanity. Mm
1: -hmm. All right. Uh, Okay. The okay. The last question I will throw back to you is this. Okay. Then we're gonna. Then I want to get back to independent filmmaking. Because uh, I, I want people to understand what it is you do and what you have to go through. Uh, what you have to, yeah. You, know, you know, what you have to go through. And like I said, we're in the process of, we have a little phone issue uh, with uh, Coco on her end, and we're doing everything we can to make sure she gets back on the air. So, all right. I, I'm going to give you, do you stay up at night and worry about, okay, right now. Joe Biden is going to have a major test in Russia. You know, Putin has literally got troops lined up on the Ukraine border, threatening to basically come in. And if that's the case, we're talking a major war between Ukraine and Russia. First of all, two questions I'll throw back to you. Number one, does that concern you? Number two, should the U.S. get involved in such a situation? Yeah,
3: that's absolutely concerning, you know. I mean, I think that uh, it's a tricky situation, you know. Um, it's like when you have countries that you're, you know, will say that, you know, well, I have your back if you have my back and all that kind of thing, and that's basically what the UN is for, you know. So I think that, um, you know, and we are the only country that has ever used that ability, you know, when people came to our aid. After nine eleven, and um, so I think it's a very scary thing about the potential, you know, of Russia to go into Ukraine and and, uh, and what that uh, what that could do, what that what could happen from that. But um, yeah, so I mean, but if we have an agreement to protect them, then if we have an agreement to protect them. So it's like, what exactly we do in that, you know? I mean, those are. Those, those are hard questions to to answer, yeah. you know, supplying weapons or, you know, actual, black like, men on the ground. You know, I don't know.
4: Yeah.
1: Well, okay. Um, yeah, all right. all right. Let me stop that right there. And we've got a few minutes. We've got about 10 minutes left. So what I want you to do is, I guess, say, is talk about the process of making an independent film. You know, from start to finish. Is somebody, you know, what's the first thing that you do when you sit back and say, okay, let's say Preacher 6. You know, what was that first set of order you did to put that this movie together? You know, what's your What's your initial step as an independent filmmaker?
3: Well, that's a good question. I think the most important thing really is is knowing what you can do you know so like working to your strengths i think is the most important thing so it's like if you know you have um you know really good actors you know and you but you don't have you know uh, access to like you know carpenters to build sets you know then you probably want to think about you know doing a film that's uh you know uh that you can do with pre-existing sets you know so you think about all of these things in advance of getting into something, you know, or if you know that you have like a really good effects person, you know, that's going to be working with your film, then, then you would kind of go at it from that angle. It's like, okay, Oh, we can do this, you know? And then, so hopefully, you know, you have a screenwriter that you can work with, you know, for those things and that you can um, have parameters to say, this is what we can do. This is what we can't do. And then you kind of build up the, uh, the, the process or the, the, the project you know, from the ground up like that.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So basically the first thing you going to do is what's my resources. Right. It, that's the, Now how about the script itself? I mean, do you come with an idea of, an, do you have like a general idea? So do you have a script written or do you have, let's say an idea of what you want the movie to do? Uh,
10: um, I'm going
3: to, I'll say all of the above. In my particular situation, my wife is the screenwriter. So, um, I'm super lucky in that regard. And, um, so we, we kind of like engineer things together with all the things I was just talking about, you know, well, this is what we can do. This is, you know, uh, these are our assets, you know, how can we make a, you know, put this into a story, you know? So it's like we're reverse engineering what you have. So, yeah, that's, I'm super lucky that way.
1: Yeah. All right. So, okay. So, sure, okay. So you basically, when you look at the resources, what I have, for example, you, you know, and then now how about raising the capital? Uh, you know, raising the capital. You know, this is not the, obviously, this is probably the most difficult. Would you say this is the most difficult job that you have to do?
3: Definitely raising capital is like, it's a full-time job. I mean, it's like it, I'm I am about to be going into a full-time job in May of raising the money to finish the film while finishing the film. so it's, it's a lot to do, you know, um, and you have to think about how you're going to do that. You know, like what, who do you know? What's your audience? You know, do you, do you have access to places that you can raise money from, or you need to build your audience and how do you do that? So there's um there's a a, a lot to, you know, trying to put that all together and and it's a constantly changing thing as technology changes and as different platforms become, you know, more popular than others. And it's just kind of like staying ahead of the curve uh, to, to do all that. But yeah, it's a huge job raising money for a film.
1: All right. Okay. Well, let me ask, in your case though, do you have, let's say major donors that come in to help you out? Or did you have to basically do you know go through indie was the with the what's the, the fundraising use indiegogo yes to both of those
3: um, so yeah I have um, uh, fortunately have some amazing executive producers that have have invested in preacher six as investments yeah. and then also yeah. yeah the the indiegogo you know which is like for perks and and that kind of thing so yeah. it it takes it takes all of
1: the above, to make it happen. Okay. Now, Coco, we have you on the line? Yep. Okay. Okay, we got Coco back. Uh, 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 so whatever there are technical issues with the phone, he is backing. And we're talking about, we you know, we spent the last few minutes talking about his uh, process of going through a film. Uh, right. And, and, you know, raising money, the difficulty doing it. So let me put it this way, from your experience, because you've been, you've been in Hollywood for, like, how many – I mean, almost you – know, all of your life, almost. Yeah,
2: pretty uh, much so, all my life. You know,
1: and I know you've done some short, you know, you know, some short flicks, and you've worked with people. So you know, what's been right. – you know, So what – you know, when you sat – you know, when you sit down with folks, or when you somebody, somebody comes in and says an idea, you know, what's the process you go through? And you know, what have you gone through? Let's well, say, did Go ahead.
2: A lot of it has to do with networking. I mean, if you're not networking,
1: you know, you're really
2: not putting yourself out there. And it's all about putting yourself out there, all about going to, like, different types of events, um, you know, to really talk to people of your same interests and to see if you guys work well together. Um, a lot of it's fundraising, obviously. Um and Indiegogo is, like, a godsend when it comes to that because of the power of social media, Facebook, you know, TikTok, um, all these social media sites um, really have helped um, others raise money into doing, you know, what they love to do, which is art.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, okay, how about, uh, okay, Yeah the okay, here's the other aspect you're talking about networking now both kind how long have you been in filmmaking? when did you get started doing this?
3: uh filmmaking um that would have been okay. uh with the ch- the chair, but I mean, as far as like being I've been an actor forever so um so yeah, so that's so what one question is different than the other, so an actor since basically junior high. A filmmaker um, since the chair with uh, with Roddy Piper, so that would have been six years ago.
1: Okay. And how about uh, okay? Let me put this. How about an actor? When did you start acting? Yeah. You know, when did you? What was your first role?
3: I, you know what? Um, God, it's like my basically I saw I saw Fame on TV. And, um, when I was in junior high and I was like, that's what I want to do. So, um, that's kind of what, so my, I went to the, uh, arts high school in Houston. And, um, so you auditioned to get into that. And, and basically it's like, I was doing that since then. And then went to Cal arts out in California. And, um, so it's like there since I was a kid, basically, you know, Right. It's been quite a ride.
1: <laughs> All right. Okay. Now, Coco, what was you, what? How old were you in your in, in your first film?
2: Oh gosh. Actually, I was a couple months old, and I was the. Uh, I did a commercial, a, a, a commercial for Juicy Juice, 100% juice for 100% kids. Um, maybe I was like a year or two years old, maybe. So I had been doing it nice. for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I was I was one of those kids. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I actually totally forgot about that until you literally just uh mentioned first roles. I was like, Oh my god, no, that was me. I did that.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so cool.
2: <laughs> so lame.
3: No, mm. not lame. <laughs>
1: How about the first film? What was your first film? My Uh,
2: first film? Yeah. I was, I don't know, I want to say I was 13, 14. And I did this movie called Swing with, um, oh, my goodness, Jacqueline Bissette.
1: Oh, Jacqueline Bissette?
2: Yep. Wow. So, yeah, that movie's from two thousand two, I believe, two thousand three.
1: The swing. It's
2: called swing, yes.
1: Is the swing of dust swing?
2: Swing, just swing.
1: Is a swing okay? Uh.
4: Hmm.
1: Okay. So, what was that movie about, just real briefly?
2: Um. So it's about a man who's working uh a retirement home. And he goes back in time to the 50s and he makes this woman and it's pretty much, you know, kind of a fantasy love story.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. And what was your first film, uh, Kyle, that you appeared in? Um,
3: let see, the first film that I, it was, it was a college film they auditioned for when I was in high school. That I don't remember the name of, but I remember that it won awards, so that's cool. Um, the first major film that I that I booked was Andersonville, and that was the uh, John Frankenheimer um, prisoner of war film that was shot. That oh, in cool. um, yeah, that was an an incredible experience, and that was uh, in Georgia. That was literally like I think like twenty miles from where where Andersonville prison camp was is where we shot oh, wow. it. So Yeah. It was crazy. Three months, you know, basically in the mud, you know, and with the rain it's it was quite quite a, quite an experience. It was awesome.
1: All right, uh, what role did you play? Did you play one of the Confederate prisoners?
3: Um, I, I did. I actually played three speaking roles and that's a long story that I know we're not gonna have time for that story. But um yeah, I played yeah, three well, speaking roles have, yeah. in that film.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well I tell you what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this is Tom Donaldson here at the Coco Con. I wanna thank Kyle. Uh wanna thank uh Coco for joining us. Uh and tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh we'll be back next Tuesday and then tomorrow night uh, we'll be back with another great show. Uh, here on the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network. And this is Tom Donaldson saying good night. And goodnight.
3: thank you. Good night.
11: We want to welcome everyone to another edition of you and the law on the bachelor news radio network we're glad everyone uh, can tune in and join us uh, for another edition of you and the law and uh, we want to welcome if you're a first-time listener we want to welcome you to the show and uh, hopefully you will be well informed about um, topics that are related to law enforcement and, and the black community and uh, this is a show that you definitely don't want to miss because uh, we uh, we definitely talk about topics that are related to uh, the rights of uh, minorities uh, uh, and how they are interacting with law enforcement. And as you know, there's uh, once again we're dealing with another tragic death of an unarmed uh, black uh, black man that took place in in Minnesota uh, Sunday. And so we're going to be, uh, most likely talking about that. Uh, but, um, we want to, if this is your first time listening to the show, uh, we want to kind of let you know about, uh, the, the co hosts of the show. Uh, my name is, uh, Chief Green. I'm one of the co-hosts and my other co host is, uh, Chief Keith Humphrey. And we have a combined of, uh, probably more than, uh, Thirty-something plus years in law enforcement as uh, police officers, and been in the executive uh, branch in law enforcement, and so uh, we are very well knowledgeable about the topics that we uh, are talking about, and we just want to have an open and honest conversation with our listeners about the uh, your encounters with police and how uh, police should be interacting with uh, with our uh, minority uh, communities, and so there's a, a lot of things that have taken place over the last year that has put law enforcement in the spotlight from that ever since the George Floyd incident and even prior to George Floyd, uh, the, the law enforcement community has been in the spotlight, and for some reason, we continue to uh, hear and see uh stories of unarmed black men and women being killed by uh, police officers. So there is uh, a lot of things that really need to change within the, the culture of policing. And, uh, on this show, we will talk about those topics and we will have guests on periodically to, to give, uh, other insightful opinions about, uh, the law, uh, and, and how you can protect your rights when you're dealing with the police um and whether you're driving a car whether you're walking down the street um, this show is intended to provide you with information about your rights when you are dealing with law enforcement and how law enforcement should um should be dealing with you so uh that is it's it's an important topic and it's something that definitely touches uh all of our lives, especially our young, young men and women and how they interact with law enforcement. And uh, because we've also seen, you know, a a viral video of a, of a a young military officer who had an encounter with law enforcement officers on a traffic stop. And so we continue to keep asking ourselves, why do we see these things happening, uh, especially in in the black community? And you would think uh the the law enforcement community would uh, have seen so many other things that have occurred around the country that at some point uh, officers would would take a lot more precautions in when they are dealing with uh, minorities uh, especially when people nowadays are so fearful of law enforcement and so um uh, this is this is an important topic um, to talk about and and this is an important show to listen to uh, uh which is the uh, you and the law podcast show on the Backs of the news radio network I want to remind you that you can follow us on uh, our social media platforms. You can follow us on Facebook. That's You and the Law One on Facebook. You can follow us on on Instagram. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, if you go to our Facebook page, like it, share it. Uh, there's always information that, that that's updated on the uh, uh, Facebook page. Uh, if you like to comment on some of the things that's been shared, please do so. Um, but we just want to be uh, a platform to inform our listeners uh about things that they encounter with uh with with police and so um today we're going to be jumping into the topic of talking about the over policing in the minority community um because again we are seeing uh a lot of um a lot of encounters with our uh, with our minority communities and um a lot of times people are asking, why do we continue to see this over-policing in our community? So we're going to definitely talk about that, um, and we're going to also um, talk about the, the recent events that occurred in Minnesota and also get into uh, probably talking about the um, what's going on with the George Floyd case, which is only several uh, several miles from where. The incident took place in Center Park, uh, Minnesota. So there's a lot of things going on in Minnesota. Uh, and, uh, one of the things that has come out, the two families have come together, the George Floyd family and this young man who lost his life on Sunday. Uh, those two families, uh, have come together. And so it's, it's tragic that families have to come together like this here as a result of of something that, uh, a police officer has done. And so um, uh, feel free to call into the show, uh, which the calling number to the show is 646-929-0130. That's 646-929-0130. And if you happen to miss any um, part of this show, you can catch the rebroadcast show at the Bachelor News Radio dot com. That's the Bachelor News Radio dot com and just go up and click on the icon, uh, You and the Law Podcast Show, and you can listen to this show, and you can listen to all of our previous other aired shows. And and also, if you are interested in possibly sponsoring or or coming on advertising on You and the Law Podcast Show, uh, you can go to our social media uh, website, uh, send us a, a message, and uh, we will definitely uh, reply back to you. And you can also go um, uh, to the bachelor news radio And uh, there's information at the bottom of the website to where you can reach out to us and uh, become uh, an advertise on one of the hottest law enforcement shows. We, we keep it real. We talk about real stories. We talk about things that are happening in the community uh, things that we know that need to be discussed, and uh, we're we're going to be that, that voice uh, in the community uh, to, uh, to have this conversation with you all. So um, my co-host is going to be joining me uh, pretty shortly, and so uh, we're going to play. We're going to probably most likely have an audio clip that's going to come up here in just a little bit because we're coming up on, and taking our first break. Uh, but we want to remind you again that you're listening to you and the law on the bachelor news radio network and the in number to the show is 646-929-0130 That's 646-929-0130 and the topic that we're going to be talking about Is the over policing in the minority community? Uh, and if you have a comment, uh, feel free to call in uh, to that call in number Uh, If you would like to send a message, please do so in the chat room, and those messages will will come to us, and we'll get those messages on air. Uh, But, uh, again, we uh, definitely appreciate you all for tuning in and listening to to us. So we're going to take this quick break, and we're going to come back and uh, get into the topic that we're going to be talking about. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network.
8: The officer's body-worn camera shows the entire incident. Police removing 20-year-old Dante Wright from his car, placing him under arrest for an outstanding warrant. But before they can get handcuffs on him, he gets back into the car. A struggle begins, and that's when a female officer begins shouting about her taser. Police saying the shout of taser, 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 an alert to other officers that she is about to fire. But she doesn't have her taser in her hand. It's her handgun, and police say she fired once.
0: This appears to me from what i viewed and the officer's reaction in distress immediately after that this was an accidental discharge that resulted in the tragic death of Mr. Wright. Our hearts are aching right now.
10: We are in pain right now. And we recognize that this couldn't have happened at a worse time.
8: Because the Derek Chauvin murder trial is happening just 10 miles away. This morning, citing the protests and police response that happened in Brooklyn center on Sunday night, Chauvin's attorney asked the judge to sequester the jury, cut them off from any of this news coverage. That's the
0: stage for a jury to say, I'm not going to vote not guilty because I'm concerned about the outcome.
8: The judge denied that request and said the jury will only be sequestered when closing arguments begin, perhaps sometime next week. The trial continued Monday morning with a cardiologist testifying for the prosecution. We recognize
10: that this is happening at a time when our community, when all of America, indeed all of the the world, is
8: watching. Watching the death of a young man which police say was an accident, but one inflaming tensions in Minnesota and across the world all over again. In Dallas, I'm Kevin Reese.
12: Bachelor News Radio Network and WCOM in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I'm L.A. Bachelor 646 the number to get in touch with uh, Chief uh, Keith Humphrey and uh, Chief Virgil Green, both on the line. Uh, if you have any questions, you can hit us up on blogtalkradio.com. The chat room is open. Look for the, you and the Law Show. And you can ask questions there. And as uh, Virgil mentioned, if you miss this broadcast, you go to the com and go to their show page at the top. And you can listen to the rebroadcast of any of their their, um, their shows. And email us, uh, email Virgil and, and, and Chief Green will give their email address out to the Reach Them. Or you can email us if you want to advertise on their broadcast at labachelor40 at gmail dot com. Uh guys, uh, uh good evening to you. I guess my question with the Derek Chauvin uh I mean the um the shooting in, in Minnesota where another black man is uh been killed, you uh you saw what what happened there. Uh so my comment first is, is there's a lot of rumors, well, not rumors, a lot of rumblings going on about how, if this shooting will be treated differently. Surprisingly, these are conversations that I've heard and saw that this young man's mother is white, his father is black. First point. Mm-hmm. The second. The second point is, with the video based on what you know only based on what you know you guys are a career um veteran law enforcement uh what you know what you saw the the, the facts that you know about the case could anything be done differently to avoid what this police chief is saying was an accident accidental shooting
11: well you know La, i'm about to say and it's i mean it's a good cra- a a good question. Uh, What could be done differently? Uh, First of all, uh, let's talk about the difference between uh, a a handgun and a taser, Uh, because that's been a lot of conversation over the past uh, 24, 48 hours since this incident happened. Uh, Most departments, most officers, there is a policy. Every department has different policies but it's pretty much standard across the country where uh depending on your dominant hand if you're right-handed <laughs> your taser is on your left your left um and so it has a different feel it has a different weight uh and so it is really things happen and I, I don't want to say you know, use the word accidents because this is a profession where we're, we are trained to prevent accidents from happening. Uh, But people are going to say accidents do happen. Uh, A car accident happens because you can be driving down the street. Somebody can run a stop sign. They're not paying attention. That's an accident in this situation in LA where, You've got a. Now we've learned that this is a 26-year veteran of the department. Uh, She uh, is a training officer. She was uh, did have an officer with her that she that was going through FTO training, which is field officer training. So this is somebody who should have known more than anybody. And I would assume, and the video doesn't show that. Uh, that other officers who were there may have had their tasers out uh, and probably didn't have their handguns out. So the question always, L.A., comes back to why are, why are so many officers so quick to pull a handgun out on a traffic stop? As what we saw with uh, the incident, uh, L.A. and our listeners in, uh, with, the, with the Air Force Uh, uh, With the military officer in Virginia So what could have been been Done different LA is that This officer really should have paid More close attention to the Weapon that she had in her hand And when she's hollering taser 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 She never really looks The gun is in front of her She never really realizes That she does not have her taser And so That's the one thing that I can say That should have been done differently is that you really need to know the uh, Know and recognize the weapon that you're pulling out that you're going to be pointing at another citizen So, uh, LA, I think it's real important that, you know, uh, that, you know, the chief actually came out and said that this was an accidental shooting he's taken a lot of heat for that and as you know today uh he turned in his resignation as well as the officer submitted her resignation so he took a lot of heat from uh and has taken a lot of uh heat and criticism from the community because he used the word this was an accident this was an accidental shooting and i don't think people are not really they're not really buying that, LA. That this was an accident. They're they're basically saying this is an officer who who should have known that she uh, was going to use her 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 taser and, instead of of pulling out her weapon. So uh, it's good that this agency had body cam footage and uh, that you know everybody can see what took place um but again LA it's the question comes back to why are so many officers immediately going for the weapons and LA I you know me and Keith you know we started out as being patrol officers we pulled over people that is a you know you just this the unknown with traffic stops but i'll have to say you know just a couple of months ago in in New Mexico a uh, a state trooper pretty much ambushed and, and murdered along the side of the highway in, in my home state of New Mexico and uh, with an assault rifle. He never even had an opportunity to do anything. And so traffic stops are becoming really uh, very uh, deadly for police officers. Uh, and, and so you've got uh, uh, officers who are really on a on a heightened sense of an alert because of things that are occurring maybe in their community or just around the country. And so, uh, but again, I think, you know, and not to make any excuses, and I don't want our listeners to think that we're that I'm making any excuses or, you know, Chief Humphrey, when he, you know, he comes on, you know, his comments are to make an excuse, but I believe we just really need to have an an honest conversation about uh, this incident and, 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 L.A., we've had an incident happen like this same, a similar incident happened uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, several years ago with a older uh, white gentleman who was a reserve officer, uh, which, you know, reserve officers are, are, are not fully, they're, they're, you know, part-time officers. They just kind of come out when they need uh, that extra support with the police department. He was a kind of big donor to the former sheriff of Tulsa County. Uh, they were trying; there was they were trying to arrest uh, a black male, and uh, this individual took off running. And um, this uh, deputy pulls out uh, his weapon and end up shooting and killing this this uh, black, unarmed black man. And so again, he uh, said that he thought he pulled out his taser. Now. He was ultimately uh, charged with, I believe, manslaughter and was convicted of that charge and spent uh, several years in prison. I believe he's since been released. But uh, these things do occur, and it's something that, uh, you know, you go back to training. You know, what is a training teaching officers? uh, And when you heard her command, say taser, 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 that is something that you're taught during training. But I have to say that there is a big difference between what a taser feels like and what a handgun feels like. Well,
12: what does what taser, taser, taser mean? First of uh, all, and then second, and and we have some people on the line, I'm sure they have questions. We need to get to them, I guess, when you go to break. But um, it, when they say that, what does that mean uh, when, when um, officers yell that out, number one, and then go back to... Again, the conversations I'm hearing about how, you know, will this be ultimately treated differently, even though, you know, I, I, I mean, let's just keep it real. In this country, you have black blood in you. You're black. Um, that his mom was white. This, this young man who's just murdered um, If it, it's treated differently uh, based on on that sort of uh, parental breakdown that Correct. we see.
11: Well, Elliot, and, and I have to say this, I don't think it's going to be treated differently. And I think one of the things, I listened to an interview last night with, uh, with this young man's aunt who was traveling from down south, I believe from Alabama to Minnesota. And the, the, one of the things that she wanted to make clear was that this her nephew did not come from a broken home. Uh, he has a two-parent home. The, the father is there. The mother is there. Yes, the dad is, is black. The mom is white. But you've already, you've already got some people who are coming out uh, trying to find anything they can on the dad or the mother. So I don't think, you know, this is going to be treated any differently. Uh, I think what we have seen was an agency uh, that was very quick to release the, the body cam footage. And I believe from what I heard the the now the former police chief say that this was against the state agency that is going to that is investigating this. So uh, they didn't agree with the body cam video being released as quickly as it was. But I think there was a lot of pressure put on the mayor, put on the city manager, put on the police chief to, to do so. So. But to answer your question, uh, uh, well, we're coming up on our break, and I'll answer the question about what Taser Taser is once we come out of this break. But you're listening to You and the Law on the the News Radio Network. I'm,
4: uh, I'm
13: honestly afraid to get out. Can I- yeah, you should be. Get out. Get out.
11: This get out. is
7: Karan Nazario, a second lieutenant in the U.S. Army. Police in Windsor, Virginia pulled him over in December 2020.
13: You're being detained, say, You're being detained for of justice. This body camera
7: footage shows the officers holding Nazario, who is uniformed,
4: at gunpoint. Get out of
13: the car now, get out of the car. I'm actively serving this country and this is how you're gonna treat me? I didn't do anything. Whoa, hold on, what's
1: going, hold
7: on. At one point, they even pepper spray him before knocking him down and putting him in handcuffs. watch it. Watch it. Nazario also recorded the interaction with his cell phone.
9: Get out
13: of the car! Get out of the car now! I, I don't even want to reach the seatbelt please. Take your uh, seatbelt off and get out
0: of the car! Get out of the car now! Uh, what are you, a specialist? corporal? what are you? I'm a lieutenant. Lieutenant, get out of the car!
13: Take your seatbelt uh, off and get out of the car! You made this way more difficult than it had to be you just complied! Get out of the car! You know this is <laughs> up. Certainly <They're like laughs> They flat! I can't being like this and Get on,
7: the Get on the ground. The incident gained attention this month after Nazario filed a lawsuit against officers Joe Gutierrez and Daniel Crocker.
13: This is f-ed up. I agree.: we
7: Gutierrez agree? has been fired from the department.
12: back to You in the Law broadcast on the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM and Chapel Hill. Make sure you go to our website, com, and click on the You and the Law show page right at the top uh, of the website. You can click there and listen to any of their previous shows, including this one, which will be rebroadcast there. Tonight, you can reach out to the Chiefs at 646 929 130 or online at blogtalkradio.com uh, forward slash LA Bachelor. Uh, you can make your comments there in the chat room or hit us up. We have uh, uh, someone on the line that uh, is going to make a comment. Um, but uh, Chief Green, you know, this in this particular incident, this officer was, uh, I believe, resigned. I uh, forgot what it said at the end there, but uh, he's no longer with the agency, so that, that seems to be sort of a short trend um, in these two particular cases. Now, I don't know if that's going to be a a trend due to the climate, um, but if you could speak to that and what Taser Taser means, and then we can go to the phones.
11: Well, so let's go back to what Taser Taser means real quick. That is uh, uh, a – that's what you learn when you go through Taser training. It lets the officers uh, around you know that you are uh, about to deploy your TASER. So is this a part of the law enforcement training? The the, the general public doesn't understand what TASER TASER means. Uh, I think a lot of people watch a lot of cop shows, so they probably understand that verbiage of what TASER TASER means. But that's where that comes from, L.A., and our listeners, is that um, the uh, – that lets the officers around know that you're getting ready to deploy your taser and it's also a part of the policy uh when you are are getting ready to to use your taser uh you know the go to uh the incident that took place in virginia you know where the officer was was you know this incident actually occurred earlier in the year but the video is just now coming out so you can see that uh, i think this this traffic stop actually took place in december of, of, of this of last year and so we're just now seeing it in April so uh, it, again there's there's an issue with the transparency there but I think it actually came about because of the uh, military off of the army lieutenant uh, following this uh, lawsuit against the agency and that's how this video was put out so but um, you know the, you know, Ellie, there's a lot of things that are going on across the country that that's dealing with law enforcement, and so many people want answers, and it's, and it's time law enforcement step up and, and really uh, do a better job of being open and transparent about the way we're doing business uh, with, with our citizens.
12: I agree. I agree. You, uh, we have a, a caller on the line. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, Jay Hill in Oklahoma. Uh, Jay Hill, you're on the line, sir. Hey LA.
11: Hey,
10: Chief Green.
12: Hey,
11: Jay,
10: Excuse man. Appreciate you
11: calling me in, sir.
10: Hey, you're welcome, Chief. Good to hear your voice. Um, I guess is Chief Humphrey not on today? Well, he, he, he's going to join us. Uh, he's got
11: a, a late uh, council meeting going on and he's trying to get out okay. of that uh so but he I, he's going to be joining us hopefully before the show is over with so but right okay. now you you're you're kind of stuck with me and 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 and, and my and our producer <laughs>
10: hey that's a good place to be i just didn't want to not acknowledge him um yeah yeah as as you know I, i've been a police officer for 32 years and i went to taser instructor school in 2001 mm-hmm. and was a taser instructor Uh, for my police department before I retired. Um, The taser and a firearm, I've listened to about 85% of your show today. I was a little late signing on. And you're absolutely correct. They both have a different feel. But what's confusing me, even up there in Tulsa when that occurred, is when you, regardless of what taser you pull out, the X-26, what model you have, um, Mm -hmm. you still have to turn it on. There's a safety fit switch that comes on and it uh either puts a light and a laser on your target, but you still have mm-hmm. you can't just pull a taser out and pull it. You have to engage it. Unlike a firearm. Yeah, correct. Uh correct a firearm you pull and shoot, but and you have to make a conscious effort to know what weapon you're you're drawing. Um I, I kept I'm a right-handed officer, right handed officer and I and I carried a Glock twenty one, which, you know, is a very big weapon. Um mm-hmm. And I carried my taser uh, on my right side but right at my stomach, um, and that's, okay. that's, that's where we trained. When I first went through school in 2001 and more, um, their police department put one on, and that's where I learned it. And I carried that for like that for about 14 years, and then our department wanted to say, okay, we want your tasers on your non-dominant hand. Which I understand mm-hmm. with that, but you can't take a person who has muscle memory for that many years, and then all of a sudden, <clears throat> excuse me, change the position where you put your taser um just like mm-hmm. you know your your magazines your when you go to reload, you know exactly where they are it's muscle memory yeah so that that was my big my my big push to my administrators or you know the new officers yes you need to train them with that but you can't take an officer who's been doing this for 15 20 years and then reprogram him you know in his 40s and 50s you know if he started you know in this, if he started being an officer in you know 20s or 30s you, you just can't mm-hmm. you just can't reprogram something like that and yeah. that's why training that's why training is so paramount especially with the climate that this country is in um, you got to yeah. train, 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 train. The more you, more you train in peacetime, the less you bleed more.
11: Yeah. Well, and, and Jay, to your point, when we talk about training, you know, this officer, this female officer, uh, she was a uh, a field training officer. Uh, I know. And, yeah. You know, and, and so, uh, you know, there's so many questions about uh, how could the, how could this happen. With her level of experience, with her level of training, and her knowledge, and so uh, again, you know, I think now Jay, a lot of people uh, are not accepting just the the one off, you know, uh, re- response that, hey, this was an accident, or, or you know, you you come up with another uh, reply uh, to not use that word accident, but. Again, you know, you've been in law enforcement. This is a profession where you you have to, and I'm gonna say, be on your A game. Uh, you know, either an eight hour every, shift every or twelve time hour you're stepping shift. At police every time, yeah, you have to be on your A game. Uh, and, and so there there's things that really need to be uh, need to be uh, done a lot differently and. You know, the question was asked earlier, what could have been done differently? And, and my reply, Jay, was, uh, like you pointed out, that there's a different feel between the taser and, and your weapon. A lot of agencies carry Glock, so you know the difference because you are pulling it out you're using it. But the main point that you made, Jay, was you have to engage that taser to operate it. Now, when you pull out your weapon, the only thing you're going to be pulling is is that trigger. And so you know the difference feel and and for her to have that weapon out in front of her, and on top of that, there were other officers in her close proximity in that small space with this young man in the car, so she could have also shot another officer uh but they're again very careless, very careless, and uh I think you know. As time goes along this investigation comes out, I think, you know, what more of the investigation can come out when we've all seen the, the body cam footage, Jay?
10: Yes, and one – one I know this goes back to to uh, individual department policy and procedures, but I taught my – all my – we only – department officer, we only had 35 officers. We're a medium-sized department in in, mm-hmm. in Oklahoma, and I was the only – at that time, I was the only taser instructor for several years. So every, every officer had a taser in our department, and they went through mm-hmm. my class. And there was a couple things that I, requ- that I required personally, not taser, not department. You went through my class, you took the ride. Because I wanted my officers to feel what that person who they're tasing feels. I want them to know what that person's going through. You know, when you mm-hmm. taste someone, that's you know, when you taste someone, that's that's quite a little ride. And oh yeah, I, I it's definitely a Yeah, don't be afraid to chase somebody. Get you know, that's what you have legs and people. Go ahead and chase them. You know, don't rely on that weapon. Don't rely on that taser because that's that's just a tool in your tool belt. That's just one tool. <laughs> and I always told it, guys, if you, got, if you had a, if you had a subject yeah, in the yeah, driver's like, seat, you never taste someone that's driving off in a car. You just you shouldn't yeah. you shouldn't do it.
12: Yeah. Uh, uh, I was gonna yeah. ask yeah, I, was
10: anyway.
12: I know uh uh Chief Humphreys with us we'll we'll get to him up but with, I know you're coming up on a break in a few minutes but if you to 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 both of you right now, maybe we can get Chief in here real quick if we get it in three minutes if I can shut up real fast. I think the problem <laughs> with a lot of people um in in you know communities of color that have the issue with is Oh, oh no, here we go again. And the chief of that agency was quick to say it was an accident without everything. I know they tried to get the video out and all that kind of stuff. And people aren't buying it because in a lot of situations, unfortunately, um, as we've seen, I mean, you have the, the good cops like you guys are. But uh, we've seen in situations where it might have been a, um, a white person in that situation that somehow maybe the tasing, uh, scenarios, maybe not the, the best. But at the end of the day, black folks feel like in these situations, white folks get to go home to their families or go to jail, but live to see another day, live to have their day in court. And I think that's the biggest frustration that a lot of black people have when you see these type of incidents happen uh, over and over and over again. Yeah, in LA, that, that's
10: think, correct. LA.
11: Yeah. It, and, you know, uh, you know, a lot of people are are just tired of hearing, they've heard the same thing. They've heard it from, you know, from, you go back to Eric Garner, you go to Trayvon Martin, you go to Tamir Rice, you go to Sandra Bland, you go, you know, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. Uh, I mean, you, you kind of forget the names because it's been happening so, so, so much over the years and, people are are tired of hearing excuses and they're tired of lip service and they're wanting, and I think this is why you've seen the, 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 that community and the elected officials in this community put a lot of pressure on the, on the mayor and for the mayor to do some things. And that's why you saw the city manager, uh, remove, uh, And then now you see the police chief and the officer. But but LA, we're gonna we're coming up on our on our break. We're gonna take this break, Jay. We definitely appreciate. Bachelor News Radio. You're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network.
7: Speaking out tonight for the very first time, a Wellington City employee who accuses the former police chief of sexual misconduct says she has lived a nightmare. It
8: is a story FOX 13 has been following for weeks now. You saw her last Friday, Rory Bradley was fired for harassment and retaliation.
7: And we now know why, the incident being detailed in an exclusive interview with FOX 13. Haley Higgins is on the story tonight. Video captured December 8th appears to show former Wellington Police Chief Rory Bradley making an obscene gesture toward an employee in City Hall. Moments later, he wraps his arms around her face and neck in a headlock. He's the chief of police. I was scared. I didn't know what to respond or how to respond. Later that morning, video also shows the woman walking past Bradley holding a notepad. The former police chief appears to wind up before hitting her on the backside. I didn't know what to do. I looked at him. And I said, you can't do that, that's sexual harassment. I said, don't ever touch me again. The videos were included in formal complaints against Bradley in February. The city attorney argues that for months, Bradley sent inappropriate and flirtatious text messages, even asking for nude photos while he was on duty. Bradley was fired Friday by the city council, of which he is a member.
3: The text messages were simply to be meant to be fired. That's
7: it. That's all it was meant to be. That's all she knows it to be. Because- Bradley's attorney tells Fox 13, quote, he's disappointed. He loves Wellington. He grew up there. He's disappointed he is no longer able to serve in that capacity based on the vote by the city council. It's not a victory. I don't feel like a victory at all. I feel like,
2: I mean, he got what he deserved because you shouldn't do that to
7: anybody, period, especially if you're the chief of police. You don't touch anybody. Now, days after the harassment complaint against the former police chief, he then made a counter complaint against the alleged victim saying that she was the one who touched him and harassed him. That was found not to be true by an independent investigation. And I'm told that the former chief also filed two other formal complaints against other women working in the office reporting live
12: welcome back to you and the law on the bass news radio network uh, wcom chapel hill north carolina it's you and the law with chief keith humphrey and chief virgil green here and of course um one of their uh, uh, colleagues uh, uh, still on the line, uh, Jay Hill out of Oklahoma. Uh, guys, if you have questions, get in gal six four six nine two nine zero one three zero, the number to get in touch with us. The chat room's open. Don't forget to rebroadcast at the website. You have to go there, uh, the com. Just go to the Unlaw show page at the top. Click on it, listen, and enjoy. Uh, also, if I screen the calls and ask you if you have a question or comment, Fear not, you'll hear silence. I'll ask. You're not on the air. You can say yay or nay, and then we'll we'll keep it moving from that, guys. the The, the, um, the Lord work, works in mysterious ways. I had a, a comment that came in that said, you know, uh, to my, my point I was making it about how, you know, it, uh, white say. Um, Suspects or whatever you want to call them uh, get to see another day whether they go home or they go to jail and then they go home and they, they have their day in court as opposed to black and brown people in a lot of cases and a comment came in and said yeah we've seen simple simple uh, more or less deadly situations with um, policing on on white communities and white people. Uh, where, you know, cops got in more trouble than that. And here I am with this YouTube story in Wellington where the police chief gets fired for the harassment charge. Now, uh, uh, hear me, you know, you're in law nation and chief's on the line. I am not saying anything less about a man putting his hand on a woman or any kind of harassment like that, that that should be taken lightly. However... She gets to sue, and she is alive, to sue and tell her story. This man lost his job. Meanwhile, in these other situations, you know, Dante Wright is dead. He's not coming back to tell his story. So the dead mm-hmm. can't tell this story. So I, I just, it just was a weird way of all of a sudden I had that YouTube, and the comment came in, but you guys can go from there. Let me shut up and um, take all the time you need. And, and good evening, Chief Huffman.
9: Hey, what's going on? Hey, guys, can y'all can y'all hear me? Make sure y'all yeah, can hear me. Chief,
11: okay. Yeah, Chief. Swag. Yeah, we we can hear you, the Swag.
9: <laughs> okay, what's going on, everybody, I'll, to the listeners? La, I wanna I wanna say something to what you said earlier about the chief being fired. Uh, just kind of giving a little bit of update on that. Uh, Chiefs are at will employees, so mm-hmm. they don't have a right to their to their jobs. So it's a lot easier to. Uh, separate from a police chief than it is from an officer. Because a lot of times officers fall under uh, city charters of civil service or state statute law of civil service, which simply states that you have to follow the due process. You can't fire someone for the due process. Due process means going through the internal investigation, uh, sometimes waiting on the, if there's a criminal charge, concurrent criminal, And then they have a right to get their, their, if they're disciplined or anything, they have a right to have that overturned. So we fall within that category of where we have to do certain things, certain ways. If not, we violate, and and it doesn't make it any easier. Because I understand what you're saying. We talk about due process for the officers. We talk about due process and violating their rights. And then someone's lost their life. And so I get it. I understand the sensitivity in that. I do. And I think the thing that happened with the chief the other day um, in Minnesota is that he did it. Kind of, it kind of seemed like automatically right off the bat he was making an excuse for the officer uh, in in the tragic incident which caused someone their life. And I think that's what set the community off. That you're basically saying, just yes, she's a 26 year veteran, but she made such a mistake, and she also trained, and she made a mistake which resulted to the in the death of a, of a young black man. And so we're just supposed to say, oh, well, it was a mistake. Let's move on. That's what's making the minority community so angry because it does seem as though everything's a mistake. They're not trying to do that. They, they you know, they're good officers. They didn't do this. But at the end of the day, someone is dead. And so we, we gotta, we've got to understand the sensitivity of this and we've got to understand the concern from communities of color. And I just wanted to say that. You, you got it as a chief, you, what you say, what you say is very important on how of the reactions of your community, especially communities of color, because it's a very sensitive issue. It seems like it continues to happen over and over again. It seems like officers get uh, get walks on this, whether whether it's that's actual or not, but it just seems as though to communities of color that. This is an ongoing problem, and people are taking it as a mistake.
11: Yeah, uh, Keith, you're absolutely right. And again, it goes back to the accountability and 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 what the head of that agency will and will not do. And and you know, we want to remind our listeners that you know the, the topic that we're talking about today uh, is are, are several topics. Uh, you know, we're talking about the incident with the young man who lost his life this past Sunday in Minnesota. We're, you know, talking about the what's going on with the George Floyd trial. And we're also uh, talking about what took place in Virginia with the military officer. But, you know, all this goes back to our topic of the over-policing in the minority community. And, and Keith, you know, uh, there's so much statistics out there that that really support the the conversation about the over policing in, in the in, in our minority communities and the fact how officers are so aggressive and uh, just in how officers treat uh any person of color. And and you know, LA I'm gonna share something with you and our listeners and, and I don't know if we have, still have Jay on the line with us but you know today uh right here in Oklahoma City several months ago a 74 year old uh grandmother was uh was handcuffed inside of her home because she had called uh, uh the police because of, uh, of some concern with her son who had some mental health issues i believe he may have called in some type of a bomb threat or some type of a threat and so officers or, or very familiar with this individual. So they come to her home, they're looking for him, they say they have a warrant. She uh again, she's seventy four, seventy five years old. Uh they ended up uh uh you know, just very rude, very aggressive, came into her home, uh, detained her, detained her son, and um uh but at the end of it she ended up suffering uh some injuries from it but it was just the the aggressive talk that these officers had and basically kind of like you know yeah whatever whatever you know well you shouldn't have resisted you you've got a 70 uh a 75 year old grandmother who is, is doesn't even weigh you know probably 120 pounds But these officers are so aggressive, and, Keith, that's something that we – that, you know, you continue to see over and over again, just like with the traffic stop in Virginia. But, again, no matter what age a a black person is, whether you are a a woman or a man, we have officers who do – who totally ignore that uh, and, and are so aggressive with any person of color. Their their age and so the, there really has to be some serious conversations about the over policing in our minority communities and why do we continue to see these things happen and the fact that these officers really don't have any empathy they don't really have any concerns about the actions that they have taken and and to, well, first, to, when I saw this video earlier uh, Keith it was it was very disturbing to watch this body cam footage of the, how this 74-year-old mother and grandmother was treated. Well, Bernie,
1: let's, let's go back.
9: You're talking about sensitivity. You're talking about, you know, intelligence. Okay, now, you, you got a you got a person driving a truck. I, I don't have a, I mean, you know, a new Tahoe. I don't have a problem with you stopping. If you can't read the lights and plate in the back, temporary tags, I, I, okay, I understand that. But all you have to do is the procedural justice thing. The man is asking you, why are you stopping me? Why not say, the reason I'm stopping you is because you don't have a regular tag, and I can't read your tag, and I'm just making sure everything's okay. Why not say that? Then what will happen is the man is going to say, well, let me get out of the truck, see what's going on, or do you mind if I get out of the truck so I can check, or this is a new car, here's the paperwork. You don't even give the man an opportunity to do that. You just go off. You just go off on the man. And the man is trying to say, well, what did I do? What did I do? He asked this man at least 15 times, what did I do? Why are you stopping me? Get out of the car. Get out of the car. Get out of the car. And then the man is saying, man, I'm afraid. That's why I kept driving. Well, you should be afraid. And then you've got the other officer who didn't even try to intervene. That is what the problem is. You, yeah. you shouldn't have to be scared to stop your car and traffic stop. So I'm just saying, man, it's, 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 where does the emotional intelligence, the common sense, the passionate, and the procedural justice, why do you have to teach people that? Why do we have to teach individuals that we allow to carry guns? Why do we have to teach them common sense and how to
11: treat people? Yeah, well, and I'm going to say this, Keith, I, I think we spend more time on firearms training than we do then we spend time on sensitivity training uh we have people again uh it is uh it's just beyond me that you've gotta train and teach an officer how to be respectful, but we spend more time on taser training we spend more time on on going to the range uh shooting weapons, but we don't really spend a lot of time on sensitivity training and keep you know the video. Again, we go back to this, this this topic, and and we're I know we're not gonna you know this is a topic that we're gonna be talking about again on our show next week. But why are so many people fearful of law enforcement? And this is real, people. This is real. This isn't just something that people are making up. You have a generation of people who, young and old who are fearful of police. And when, like you said, Keith, with the young man in in Virginia, yeah, he has a, a a paper tag in the window that the officers couldn't see. Why couldn't they have just – they immediately drew their weapons and pointed it at the vehicle and in what we call a high-risk traffic stop, and they escalated it. Why couldn't they just walk up – yeah, if they drove a mile – and uh, and he pulled over to a well-lit area. Why not just walk up to the car and say, hey, sir, how are you doing? Um, you know, is everything okay? At least start the conversation off right instead of starting the conversation off with weapons drawn, get your hands up, all these uh, commands are being shouted at you, you don't know what to do, and it escalates instead of de-escalating, Keith. So, you know, again, this is – we continue to see how minority men and women are treated at the hands of law enforcement. And, you know, this is something we're going to continue to – this is not something – let me say this. What happened in Virginia is going to happen again, unfortunately. What happened in Minnesota is going to happen again.
9: Virgil, let me say something. And I think we talk about the leaders making setting the tone. How do you think those citizens felt when they saw that police chief walk off the stage when they started getting a little bit heated, and also when the mayor and the city manager could not answer questions?
11: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They, you know, that was very. um, They were. There was a lot of emotions, and I think there was just rush to do it. You saw how kind of disorganized it was with the the city the city manager saying one thing, the police chief saying something, the mayor saying, I can't say this and so it was a very um heated uh press conference and but again that's what you that's why if you're in a leadership position, that's why you're getting uh getting paid what you're getting paid and it really doesn't come down to getting paid, it just, it comes right. down to you are the person in that position, in that leadership role, and this is why you are in front of the cameras to answer these questions. So, um, well, you know, we've got well, let to. Me say this. Uh, let, me say,
9: let me say this real quick. It's all right when the water, uh, it's, it's fun and relaxing when the water lukewarm. But then when you add the carrots and potatoes and the broth and you turn it up and it comes to a boil, that's when it becomes uncomfortable. And everybody can't sit in that boiling water. So I just I just yeah. you know, they turned it up yesterday and, and and it wasn't comfortable. And in this job, you're never you're not being hired to deal with comfort. Yeah. Or satisfy. Well, hey, you're please, the job to be able to answer. So I just wanted to say that, man.
11: Yeah. Well, hey, we I uh, know we're coming up on the last minutes of the show, but we've got David in Pittsburgh who's listening in. David would definitely thank you for listening to us uh, out of Pittsburgh. But he says uh, over policing in black communities has led to police escalation, uh, uh, brutality, harassment, and murder of of our people. I mean that's a that's a, a fair statement, uh, David. I mean, you know, again we see more police in our minority communities because it's as if that's where all the crime is occurring. But you don't see the same number of policing outside of our minority communities. And so uh, this is a topic that we're definitely going to uh, take up again uh, next week. So we want to encourage everyone to tune back in to uh, UN, the law podcast show on the back of the news radio network next uh, Tuesday uh, as we continue this conversation about the over-policing in our minority communities and what law enforcement needs to do to correct uh that, uh, that behavior. And, and, and uh, so we don't continue to see what we saw in Virginia and what we saw just recently in um, an, another community in Minnesota. But guys, Ella, uh Keith, we, we're going to uh, thank everybody for tuning in, listening to us. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, if you miss any parts of this uh, show, We encourage you to go and listen to the rebroadcast at thebachelornewsradionetwork.com. But we will tune in next week for another edition of You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network.
13: we fought about to go and buy the bar up So strong so, so we ain't playing Hang with no laser, walk and stay Baby, party yeah. We're yeah. on the way, the party, yeah. Yes and girl, talking all style fit just showing that skin trying to make an the spit. where you been
4: girl you and your friend you could come to yeah. the back we got it locked out. your white t-shirt or a three-piece suit don't matter what you wear all that matters is who you with Some jiggy, some straight line yeah. all up in the club
13: to have a good time oh. hey, the party uh-huh. Uh-huh. Girls
4: is on the way up a picard and talking on and that
14: It makes me wonder how I keep them going under. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep them going under.
13: Broken glass everywhere. People on the fence. You know they just don't care. I can't take the smell. Can't take the noise. Got no money to move out. I guess I got no choice. Rats in the front room. Roses in the back. He's in the alley with the baseball bat. I tried to get away, but I couldn't get far Cause a man with the touch of possessed my car. So push me, cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> it's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep him going under. Standing on the front stoop, hanging out the window, watching all the by, roaring as a beezer blow. Crazy lady living in a bag, eating out of garbage spells, used to be a bag hag, such that's a tango, skipped the life and tango was hooked on seemed to seen the sit down at the flip show, watching all the sweets, so she could tell the story to the girls back home. She went to the city and got so so, so did it? she had to get a but she couldn't make it on her own. So push me, cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying Not to lose my head (laughs) It's like a jungle sometimes It makes me wonder how I keep them going under It's like a jungle sometimes It makes me wonder how I keep them going under
14: My brother's doing fast On my mother's TV Says she watches too much It's just not healthy All my children in the day Time Dallas at night can't even see the game or the sugar ray fight The bill collector to ring my phone and scare my wife when I'm not home Got a bump education Double digit inflation Can't take the train to the job there's a flag at the station and on King Kong standing on my back can't stop to turn around Broke my i a mid-range migraine cancer membrane Sometimes I think I'm born insane I, swear I might hijack a plane Don't push me my son said, Daddy, I don't want to go to school because the teacher's a jerk. He must think I'm a fool. And all the kids go reaper. I think it'd be cheaper if I just got a job, learn to be a street speaker. I dance to the beat, shuffle my feet, wear my shirt and tie, and run with the because it's all about money. Ain't a damn thing funny. You got to have a con in the land of milk and honey to push that barrel in front of the train, choke it to the doctor so the arm on the game stabbed that man right in his heart.
13: It's like a jungle sometimes It makes me wonder How I keep them going under A child is born With no state of mind Blind to the ways of mankind God is smiling on you But these frowning too Because only God knows What you'll go through You'll grow in the ghetto Living second rate And your eyes will sing A song of hate. Hey The that you play And where you stay Looks like one great Big alleyway You'll admire All the number book takers Dug pips and pushers And the big money makers driving big cars the twenties intense then you want to grow up to be just like them huh. smugglers scramblers burglars gamblers pickpocket peddlers even panhandlers. you say i'm cool huh. i'm no fool but then you wind up dropping out of high school now you're unemployed all non-boy walking around like your pretty boy boy turned stick-up kid but look what you done did got sent up for eight year bid now your manhood is cooking you're a make tag spend the next few years as an undercover fag being used in the fuse to serve like hell to one day you were sound, hung dead in the cell It was plain to see that your life was lost You was cold and your body swung back and forth But now your eyes sing the sad sad song I how you live so fast and die so young So don't push me cause I'm close to the edge I'm trying not to lose my head <laughs> It's like a jungle sometimes, it makes me wonder how I keep on going under <laughs> It's like a jungle sometimes, it makes me wonder how I keep on going under <laughs> <laughs> oh, yo, Mel, you see that girl, man? Yeah, man. Yo, that sound like cowboy, man. <laughs> yo, what's up, money? Uh, yo. Hey, ah, we, we're feeling Raheem, man. Hey, I'm standing cool and out. What's up for tonight, y'all? Yo? yo, we can go down to the beach, man. We'll take out June, off, Hey, yo, you know that girl, Betty? Yeah, man. My mom got balls, oh, man. Nah, what? Yeah, she man. got hurt. What?
4: What's happening? fire Freeze, don't nobody move nothing. Y'all Robert, know what this Get him up. Robert. Get him up, man. Robert. We down with Grand Grand the Flash yeah, and the period That's the man. We've had gang. Stop, no, man. Man, shut up! I don't I hear your know. mouth. You you shut up! What's your problem? In you, the the get in the car. you ain't, I ain't got a problem. Get in the car! Get in the car! Get in the car! get in the car!